This podcast will self-destruct in five minutes. Get a lot of complaints on the length of the episodes and people are like, man, you say it's a five minute episode, but then it ends up being 550 or 601. That's false advertising. What I figured out today, the way we're going to make this work today. I've enclosed myself in my vehicle. I'm mumbling into my phone. It's 5 billion degrees outside. It's 5 billion degrees inside. And I can feel my internal organs start to boil already. So this will be a true legitimate five-minute episode. Um, Just to catch up a little bit. Um, Mild spoilers for Mission Impossible. Probably just talk about Mission Impossible for like two minutes. Um, mild spoilers. I'm going to try not to spoil the thing that happens. And I'm going to try even more so to not spoil it till the end. But if you're, the, if you want to be completely shocked, just listen to this after you go see the movie. Um, but just to kind of generally talk about a couple of things, by the way, summer league, um, haven't watched a second of it. The buck season this starts October 23rd or whatever date that is. Until then, it's kind of interesting. I have some stuff to say. I wanted to, I kind of got kind of tepid response to the fellas on whether they wanted to do a Mission Impossible episode. And my thinking was also, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, as it relates to the Bucks and Summer League, just to kind of general takeoff, I didn't watch any of that. I don't care about that. I am frankly rooting for Chet Holmgren and Webinyama to fail. Because tall 2K mutants in the league is not anything. uh, Novelties are novelties for a reason. Novelty songs are novelties for a reason. Like, I don't really get... I think that's probably the height of, like, casual basketball watching. It's to be like, wow, this guy's like a freak I made in 2K who's 7'7", but, you know, as big as Shaq. And it's like... Isn't this awesome? He makes a mockery of the game. I also don't get, like, so if he makes an outstanding pull-up jumper that nobody can block, how does that make him any different than Paul George? Right? It's the tools that you have in your toolbox at that level. It's like a pitcher. You can have one great pitch. You can have two great pitches. You can have seven great pitches. But, like, you know, what you going to do? What you going to do to do? I can give it to you, but what you going to do with it? Uh, This podcast will self-destruct now in... Three minutes and 11 seconds. Maybe I should talk faster. Man, it's hot. Um, You know, we got about 10 to 15. We solicited for your top five Mission Impossible uh, movies. I, I don't think here's the thing. I don't think that's this. That's really the best format for a Mission Impossible episode, because my general imp- opinion is that they're all basically basically of the same quality so it's not quite as interesting so we could have a mission impossible episode and people yell at me because obviously two is the best one it's the most bonkers one but really everybody's gonna sort of have the best list and that can that can be kind of fun but that's kind of neither here nor there my feeling watching this and, and full disclosure so we watched the new one Um, My wife and daughter had to work. We went to the 10 o'clock show as part of the work week. And I didn't really get a nap before. 
And then I had to give my wife my hoodie that I brought because I'm always cold at the show. And so then I was cold at the show. Full disclosure. Um, and I guess we could go plot point by point. That's less interesting. It's of medium quality. There's an opening with the submarine. There are some very good scenes in the movie. I, I guess, let me start with the shocking statement. I think you can make a pretty credible case the way I look at this series that it's the second worst one. Pause for effect. It's the second worst one. I think three is the worst one, and two is like two isn't the isn't the best Mission Impossible movie, but it's also one of those like just when you're watching it, it feels like the greatest, most hilarious, dumb movie ever. It's like 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 Mission Impossible two. He's doing Colonel Guile kicks. There's his hair is flapping in the wind. There's slow mo everywhere. Like the Zimmer score is like basically the gladiator theme like more bombastic like everything about it is great and th- and obviously him climbing monument valley whatever that is in arizona utah wherever he is is like great there's great stuff there and i think mission impossible 2 benefits from it was the first time we had seen a lot of this stuff it, it was the first time i mean i think we had seen keanu in the matrix doing ninja stuff and the, but just, I mean, the flying doves, just everything about it, everything about it is great. Never seen Tandy Newton before, who, of course, I respect only as an actress. Um, I would never objectify women in any shape or fashion, but like there, there's some, but two, two is off to the side. And really, when you talk about all the Mission Impossible movies, it's really an extension. It was when it started an extension of the Tom Cruise thing, just in general, like the Tom Cruise thing was... I'm going to work with every great actor and great director. So he had had, you know, he had had, who did he have? He had his, his Scorsese and he had his Oliver Stone and he had did, um, I think this was before, um, whoever the other guy I can't think of, but like he, he, event, he was trying to he work with Newman. He had worked with Nicholson. He had done all these movies and it was like, every, he's working with all the best actors and all the best directors. Tom Cruise himself, my insides are boiling. Tom Cruise himself, both then and now, didn't seem like the best actor, but it was always the Tom Cruise thing. There was something about him, right? Will Smith, but different. But it was like, it was like, wow, this guy cannot cry on camera. But there's something about this guy. And he was making all these awesome movies. And so, you know, Mission Impossible started in the same vein, right? That so so he does I think the the Palma one and the John Woo one and then it gets to the Abrams one and the Abrams one again is pure alias. It's got the torture scene in the chair and you can argue the the Philip Seymour Hoffmanness of it. But at that point the formula is kind of locked in, right? The the formula is locked in. The Ethan Hunt is going to have a mission and some kind of way, there's going to be some force in the agency that's going to doubt him, even though he keeps saving the world every single time. There's going to be some Oscar-worthy actor. There's going to be a Fishburne. There's going to be a whoever the Silence of the Lambs guy. I can't think of his name right now. There's going to be an Angela Bassett. Um, there's going to be a Tom Wilkinson. There's going to be an Alec Baldwin. There's going to be someone who doubts him and either comes around or doesn't uh, by the end of it. And, of course, from the trailers, you know that Kittrick's 
Uh, Kittrick, who's also great in Clear and Present Danger, comes back for this one. Um, you, sh- you should know that from the trailer. Side point to that. Kind of feel like they shouldn't have shown the bike jump in the trailer. Because it's the best scene and it's so late that... I had seen that in every commercial and every trailer. So, so whatever. So anyway, though, this is the great thing about Mission Mission Impossible 2 is that it's completely bonkers and the template hadn't been written yet. And we had seen so much less of the thing. However, I go into movies with a pretty high suspension of disbelief. My whole point, like plot stuff bothers me. I know the stunts are fake. I go into a movie to believe in the stunts unless they look ridiculous. And even if they look ridiculous, I'm trying, like, I'm going in there to have an experience. I'm going in there to believe the set piece, generally speaking. I'm, I want to like the set piece. I want to like the action if I'm going to an action movie setting. So I'm a pretty easy grader with action stuff of a certain quality. However, with that being said, I don't know, maybe other people have a different experience with this. So Tom Cruise opens Mission Impossible 2, climbing that mountain, and I thought that looked incredible. And because I'm giving myself over to the magic of the movies, I'm just like, wow, this is really scary. He looks like he could fall. And I kind of remember behind the scenes or or whatever else, John was like, oh, every day I was like, oh, no, I'm going to kill Tom Cruise. But I don't for me. Because even now, Tom Cruise doesn't really have to do these stunts. Right. And this this is kind of a thing that that Star Wars ran into. Whenever the movement started for practical effects, did that come out of the Phantom Menace? Did that come out of the prequels? When did the movement for practical become such a nerd thing? Because obviously there's quite a bit of validity to that. But it just became this big thing, like everything's practical, everything's practical. But really, like, if that's not Tom Cruise in that motorcycle, who cares, right? Like, they're, like, like you knew that that wasn't actually Sylvester Stallone on that mountain in Cliffhanger, right? Or any of these movies. <laughs> like, like, you, like, we understand generally that it's not, like, actors doing unsafe things. Like, isn't, isn't anything that an audience generally expects unless it's like kind of early Jackie Chan and that was kind of the appeal of early Jackie Chan it's like oh we see behind the scenes and it's like oh he also broke his ankle jumping in between buildings or whatever so for me personally whatever happened in a Mission Impossible 3 was also kind of the one that took it just looks so much like Alias where it's like Alias was kind of a scene uh, Alias was a TV show where they would have kind of the illusion of production values, but like, it's like, okay, they'd have an exterior shot of Prague and then they'd be on a park bench that was LA or they'd be in a warehouse that was LA or wherever or Atlanta or wherever that was cheap to shoot. But you just kind of went along with it. And so it was like, oh, this it's this globe trotting super spy or whatever. And the super spy uh, SD six kind of universe. But you went with it. And there's there's one scene in Mission Impossible 3 where they don't show him break into the building and it just runs out, right? And, like, the score is kind of propulsive. But, like, Tom Cruise jumps off the building in that one, too. But I just, again... And plus, we already knew that they could put um, Christopher Lee's face on 
on on swordsmen in, in episode three, right? So again, there's a general understanding that we don't know how good it's always going to look, but you can put someone's face on top of someone else by 2002 or 2005 or whenever. So for me, and I'm dumb, by the time four comes out and it's the Brad Bird one, to me, the best stunt remains not him flying airplanes or, or any of these aerial stunts or not the uh, him and Henry, Henry Cavill jumping out of the plane, which, of course, looks incredible. Man, I'm sweating down my face. The best one, I didn't really realize that Tom Cruise was actually doing all of these stunts until the trailer comes out for the plane going up and you can see Tom Cruise's, Tom Cruise's face as the plane is going up in there. And that's the first time it was like, wow, he's really doing all this? Oh, yeah, I guess I, I guess I kind of knew he, you know, going back to him being a pool, a pool shark or whatever and all these. Like, I, I guess I did kind of know that he always tried to do all this stuff. But that's when it kind of resonated. Because, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're digitally, you know, removing harnesses. Like, yeah, maybe he was on top of the Burj Khalifa, but there's I didn't watch the behind the scenes. But like, OK, obviously, he wasn't doing that without a wire. Right. But these are incredible scenes. And I'll, I'll jump to just kind of a take because I'm starting to get dizzy in this car. Oh, I got two more takes, I think. Two more takes. I watched them all this week, last week and a half. We watched them all as a family, kind of came in and out. I always appreciated one. The original, the De Palma one, um, the Dutch angliness and the suspenseness and the, um, you know, John Reno and, and John Voight were kind of a big deal around that time. But like there's nothing even like the coming back of Estevez was kind of fun. It felt well made to me, just as well made to be in 96 as it does now. I, I just don't have the affection for De Palma that, that uh, McGee or other people have where I feel like like I know he must think it's like the best one it's kind of not that doesn't mean it's the second worst one the second worst one is three because there's just a little too much yada 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 with certain elements but then I watched three again this week and three is very good the best one to me is four and I think the best one for me is four I think Renner added something to it. I think the stunts are incredible. The whole Russia sequence with um, the screen that, that mirrors the hallway is incredible. Like the, just everything about four is great. And yes, I know Rebecca Ferguson is not in that one. I think between five and six, five is a little bit better despite the incredible nature of Cavill and the tremendous Cavill mustache in six. Five is a little bit better than six. When you watch four, it's perfect in there. And again, I would never objectify women in any way, but Paula Patton, one of the great actresses of our time, in my opinion, I think we can kind of say. So to generally rank, two is the most fun. I saw two like three times in the show, but obviously four, five and six are really close in quality. If you watch four, five and six back to back to back, four feels like the best. Now, this brings us to the most, but any rank, there's no ranking of Mission Impossible movies that's really wrong. The more interesting thing now to me, this car is spinning. Can you hear the sprinkler? I hope people can't hear the sprinkler in the background too much. Um, the question though, and this I'm going to tread lightly despite the fact that I'm lightheaded right now. I'm going to tread lightly 
into general topics and let's see if you can maybe read between the lines in the things that I'm saying here. The question, even before Dead Reckoning Part 1, which again, I watched at 10 o'clock at night. I didn't get home. I wasn't asleep till 1.30 in the morning. Take with a grain of salt. I've always kind of wondered, what is Tom Cruise trying to tell us with these movies? Like, what's he doing with these movies? Pre-Oprah's Couch, post-Oprah's Couch. There are points that are underlined two or three more times than a regular movie would underline. And I think by the time it got to four, I had to look back at two, even before COVID, a little bit differently. Because, of course, Tom Cruise is trying to launder his personal beliefs into these movies. But every movie, to me, it becomes a little, little bit more obvious. And I'm not advising anyone. I will not. I'm not looking into this. I'm not saying, oh, you should check out Tom Cruise's beliefs. It's not what I'm saying. But what is he trying to convey with these movies? So obviously, uh, the timing of this being an AI plot around the time AI blew up is interesting. But going back, going back to two, it's like so: Vasily, Vitali, Ivan, whatever the guy. So Vitali, you know, obviously to have a hero, you need everything that a hero requires a villain. So it, it, I, I needed my, I needed my Bellerin, my Bellerophon to get my Bellerophon. I found Chimera, and they say it eighteen times in the movie. This like this, this repetition of the quasi-religious, I'm not sure theme, and. Whichever the one was, you know, in four, the guy's trying to destroy the world. And again, you can just say it's background. It just always seems off that they they hammer the point so many times. Right. They hammer the manifesto of that guy in six so much. It's like the the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. Right. No no, no great peace is except been preceded by great suffering. The 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 greatest suffering, greatest of peace. And they say it so many times in the cavil at the end. They say it like like a password. And it always seems a little sus to me. How many times? Which brings us to this movie. Which. I mean, the religious symbolism is just off the charts, right? It's two keys to make a cross. And the <laughs> the villain is basically evil, vaguely Latin. Kurt Warner. He looks just like Kurt Warner. He looks just like Kurt Warner. His name, of course, is Gabriel. And. AI is is showing it again. It probably goes into spoilers. There's a lot. There's a lot there for dummies, even dummies like me, to kind of interpret and be like, yeah, yeah. He's he he went heavy into it. By the by the way, the reason that six, despite the incredible incredible just performance of Cavill and all the things that take place, <sighs> I don't watch The Crown. I don't know if The Crown's appropriate, not appropriate, whatever else. I the the chick from The Crown. I don't know who's telling her that she's killing every scene that she's in. It's, she's like a worse Lady Gaga to me in these movies. And she gets way too much run. I, similarly, I felt that the Mantis character in this one didn't really bother me. But she got quite a bit of run too. And, and, and again, it's just like... She's not that famous. She's not that attractive. She's not that great of an actress. And she's in so many... And I think like her scenes... Fit, like It's like she should be Madonna... And whatever that bad Piers and Bron is, Bron, uh, and Bond. I'm gonna slur more and more as I get lightheaded here. Where it's just like if it was actually Lady Gaga or Madonna, I'd be like, well, this is this big star in this star role. This is just some person who gets an awful lot of run because of the kind of Vanessa Redgrave connection that I don't 
know that fans care about, but I could be wrong. But that's it. That's one of the things that just kind of falls flat, uh, personally for me. Um, but I, so I don't care. I don't care about heavily criticizing this. The the stunt work and the set pieces. They those look great. I would say. Much the same way I feel like Spider-Verse, I'm the only person in the universe who doesn't care for these films. Like, if you're going to have Peter Parker die in a movie, you probably don't, if you respect that character, want to have Kingpin savagely beat him with his fists as he lies prone. That's not something you do to a character that you respect. Turn it off now if you don't want spoilers to even be hinted at. But as much as all of us have... A general level, all Marvel fans have a general level of affection for Peggy Carter. At the point in which she got so much run in this movie, it's like, oh, okay, Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is uh, not long for this film because they've replaced, they did a brunette swap. And they made her kind of more strawberry blonde in this one or whatever. But I, I thought... I felt like at a certain point, you know, obviously this, these movies are similar to 007, but they're different in certain kind of ways. I just felt, maybe I was mistaken, I felt like, well, a couple of things. I felt like, like, how much knife play are you comfortable with? Like, was too much knife, ni- knife play, knife play, knives, swords and knives, kind of like it's Highlander or something like that. Um, there's a scene, well, I'll just say it, there's a scene where uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character, I hope that's her name, doesn't make it. And, you know, a firearm would have been capable, but, like, it was like another knife fight with this this AI kind of guy, a religious guy kind of thing. And I guess after a while, I thought she was kind of, I thought they had done a pretty good job. The thing about Tom Cruise movies is the women have enough to do because Tom Cruise is the, like, unquestioned center of the story. He's the center of the universe in every room and every movie he's ever in. And so because of that like that understanding is is made clear and so everyone else like the phoenix character and and top gun is a perfect example of this like just all these other characters have enough to do and they really shine and they're really likable and interesting everything else because tom cruise is the star and so because that's clear then you don't have these movies where they like where you know no woman can be fallible in any aspect of it and ends up being like like the thunder with durant and hart and westbrook it's like all right well some kind of way this thing has to, uh, again. So they kill Rebecca Ferguson's character with a knife. And after the third movie, I guess it would have felt like if, I mean, it'd have been like if they'd have given us three movies of on top, not on top. Um, the other one, it'd be like if, if what's her name from golden eye, um, Natasha, whatever her name was. If the, if the main heroine from golden eye had been in four movies and then they, three movies and they killed her in the fourth one, I, kind of felt like they probably didn't need to do that. But again, it was telegraphed because they gave Agent Carter so much run. And I think had I seen it in a packed house, maybe a lot of the jokes would have landed. There's a lot of kind of physical car comedy that didn't land because it was 10 o'clock in a kind of empty side theater that I saw it at. So I'm willing, but more than anything... Dead Reckoning Part 1 felt like a Part 1, and it felt kind of like 
a bunch of set pieces just stretched together with some form of dialogue. Tom Cruise started to feel and look old. And again, we had already seen the bike jump. So at, at, at a certain point, you've been in the theater for two hours. It's like, okay, so here comes the bike jump that I've seen in every commercial. So perhaps there's more to say. I'm, I'm My head is really hot. Um, hope, hope some of that made sense. Go Bucks. <laughs>